uh, when my wife and I lived in Venezuela, we discovered that the culture down there, when you met someone new, you would ask them, well, who do you know? Like, who are you connected to? They wanted to know your family group. They, they wanted to know your friend group. Uh, we were told it was your confianza, that, you know, kind of the group that you, your, that you held your, that held your confidence. It, to them, it was all about relationship. That's what mattered. But here in America, when we meet someone new, what do, what's one of the first questions we ask? Anyone? Where do you work? Yeah, what do you do? I mean, here in Iowa, sometimes we say like, you know, oh, so where are you, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? But oftentimes our first thing is, what do you do? As Americans, we seem to value someone's job. It becomes so much a part of their identity. And by finding out what their job is, we can assess their value and how important they are in society. And as a person, is this someone that I really want this relationship with? And so you meet someone, you find out they've got a doctorate. Wow, that's impressive. You know, or, or teacher. Yes, we love teachers. Awesome. Speech pathologist. <laughs> that's really, that's incredible. That's, that's impressive. Overnight stalker at Walmart. Well, you know, we really appreciate what you do. You know, the, the products are there. But, but isn't that how it goes inside our mind? We, we, we start kind of ranking people. But in the spiritual reality, we are all the same. We just sang it in that song of Your Grace Finds Me. That it's the same for the saint and the sinner. That we all need this grace. That at the foot of the level, we are all the same. Whether we're a mechanical engineer, a civil engineer, or a sanitation engineer. But while it is theologically true that every single one of us is completely equal in the eyes of God, the roles that we play within the church are are different. Now, this does not mean that the pastor is more important than the nursery worker. It it does not mean that the worship leader is more important than the greeter. It, it, It does not mean that the, you know, hospitality coordinator is more, well, actually, hospitality coordinator brings the food. Okay, I'm wrong. That's the most important person in the church. But outside of that, we are all equal in value in the eyes of God. But the role that we play, some roles are just a little more critical than others. It doesn't mean they're more important as people, their value, but the role that they serve to the church is crucial. And one of those roles is the role of elder. Today, we're going to wrap up this little three-week series on on elders, looking at the, the why, the who, and the what. Two weeks ago, we looked at why would a church even want elders? And then last week, we looked at it, well, who is qualified to be an elder? Well, today, we get to answer the American question. We get to answer, what does an elder do? And I think this is a really, really important question for us to answer as we look at the church family of seeing, okay, here's why we want it, and here's kind of who should do it. But what is it they should actually do? Because I think a lot of us might actually be confused when it comes to this role. I think uh, Jeremy Rennie in his book, Church Elders, captures this really, really well in his introduction. He says, though elders are typically godly and well-intentioned, they're often confused about what being an elder entails. They don't always have a complete grasp of what they're supposed to do. Consequently, elders tend to import other leadership paradigms into church oversight typically drawing from their own experiences and careers. They assume eldering is like administering a school, running a company, commanding a warship, managing a project, directing operations, overseeing subcontractors, serving on a board of trustees. And aspects of these life experiences can prove useful in elder leadership, yet overseeing a church is a unique task. 
Today, we're going to look at what is that unique task? What is it that an elder is supposed to do? And to help us answer that question, we're going to study 1 Peter chapter 5. So before we jump into 1 Peter, let me pray for our time in the scriptures. So Heavenly Father, uh, we get ready now to turn to your timeless word. Uh, this, your scriptures have been around far longer than I have ever been around, and they will be here far longer after I am gone. And so, Lord, today, it is not about what I want to say. It is about what you have already said and are continuing to say through Peter's words to us. And so, Lord, I pray that we as a church family would really hear this today as we move into having an elder team to help really lead us and guide us, that we would understand what they are to do, as well as to understand what we as a church family are to do in this relationship with our with our elders. So Jesus, we pray that you be our teacher today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so if you brought a Bible with you today, go ahead and open it up to 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, if you're a first-time guest, uh, we don't mind if you use a paper copy or a digital copy. So if you've got a Bible on your phone, go ahead and pull it out. No one's going to accuse you of Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Uh, and please don't put me on Instagram. Uh, you, you won't get any likes on it. So uh, just pull out the Bible. You'll be safe. Um, if you don't know where First Peter is, feel free to use the uh, uh, cheat sheet. As you're turning uh, to First Peter, I want to ask a question. How many of you here are parents? Go ahead and raise your hands, including those who are about to give birth, yeah, about to have their first in the family. Okay, keep, keep the hands up. All right, now, of the, those of you who are parents, how many of you have ever read a book on parenting? If you haven't, drop your hand, but if you have read a book, okay, oh wow, quite a few of you guys. All right, now, how many of you would want to read a book written by someone who's never been a parent before? Keep your hand up. Okay, um, okay, one hand stayed up. Otherwise, yeah, the rest of us dropped it. Because most of us, we want to read a self-help book by someone who actually takes their own advice. Like someone who's actually lived it, experienced it. If they've gone through it, we're far more likely to actually listen to them than if it was just someone who has some really, really good ideas. You know, I've heard the, the joke that, you know, the person says, I'm going to write a book on parenting. And then they became a parent and the book never happened. Why should we listen to Peter? Because of what he says in verse 1. 1 Peter 5, 1 says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Why should we bother to listen to Peter? Because he knows what it means to be an elder. Because after all, he was installed as an elder by Jesus himself. If you were to flip back to John chapter 21, this is after Jesus has risen from the dead. Peter, remember, he had denied Jesus three times. And so he felt like a failure. So he failed as a disciple. And so he thinks Jesus would get rid of him. And so he just goes back to what he knows, fishing. One day, Peter and some of the disciples are in a boat fishing. And Jesus comes along, shows up on the shore, calls out to him. They, they catch a bunch of fish. They realize it's Jesus. And Peter's so excited, he grabs his cloak, jumps in the water, and swims to shore. They end up making a little campfire, cooking some of the fish, having some breakfast together. And then Jesus says, hey, Peter, let's go for a walk. So the two of them start walking along the beach. And three times, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And most scholars think that Jesus asks him three times because Peter denied Jesus three times. But each time Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know I do. I mean, the fact that he grabbed his cloak and jumped into the water and swam, couldn't even wait for the boat to get in, shows he loved Jesus. And, and so Peter's actually a little hurt. I mean, yeah, yeah, he knows he did the wrong thing. But Jesus should know. I mean, he's the son of God. After every time Peter responds, Lord, you know I love you. 
Jesus says something really curious. He says, feed my sheep. That if you, Peter, really love me, then I need you to be like a shepherd. I need you to help take care of my people. I'm establishing you as an elder. And we see Peter begin this in Acts chapter 2. After the Holy Spirit descends on the, at the Jewish feast of Pentecost, and all of these people start talking in, in all these strange languages, and this big commotion happens, Peter's the one who stands up and says, guys, you need to know Jesus. And he feeds the sheep with the gospel. And on that day, 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus and become followers of the Jewish Messiah. Peter knew what it meant to be an elder. He knew what it meant to lead, to guide, to love, to shepherd. And so if we should listen to anyone, it's Peter. Because he didn't just have some random people install him. No, he had Jesus himself saying, feed my sheep. And that's why we need to listen to Peter. And so here's what Peter says an elder is to do. Verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. <clears throat> when I began to uh, uh, study this uh, this week, I, I went in with that American question. What does an elder do? And so I start looking at it, and it's pretty evident right there, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. So if you were trying to answer the question, there, there you go. There's the answer. What does an elder do? They are to shepherd the flock. But I realize that's going to be a really, really short sermon. I'll be done in like five minutes, right? And I, you know, I, I get paid to, you know, preach for 30. I'm joking, by the way. Um, so I, I thought, well, there's got to be more to that. So I thought, well, all right, let's just start digging into it. And, and here's what I thought. It's just, you know, three verses, verses two, three, and four. I thought, you know what? I'll probably find two or three really good things in it. That'll be kind of be our outline for today. And, and we're good. And so I, I started diving into it this week. And all of a sudden, I realized there were seven descriptors of how to shepherd. And so I want to walk you through those seven things because I think it's going to help you help our elders be really good elders for our church family. So here are the seven. The first one is they, they need to shepherd by leading. An elder is to shepherd by leading. If you look there in verse 2, right after Peter says to shepherd the flock, he says to do it by exercising oversight. Exercising oversight. Peter uses this shepherd language because when Jesus installed him, he said, hey, feed my lambs. Jesus kept referring to people like sheep. And so he runs with that illustration. But what I want you to do for a second is I want you to think about a real shepherd, not, not just this spiritual metaphor. I want you to think about a real shepherd who's out with real sheep. What does that shepherd do for the sheep? A lot. All right, the, the shepherd has to help get the sheep to an area where the, there's actually grass so they can eat and be well fed. The, the shepherd has to make sure that one doesn't like fall off a cliff or roll down the hill. You gotta make sure that the wolves don't come and attack. It's got to make sure that if one of the sheep is sick, you know, that to take it aside and help tend to it and care for it to make sure it's okay and make sure it doesn't get the rest of the flock sick. Basically, a shepherd leads the sheep. It leads them to food. It leads them away from danger. It leads them to health. And that's kind of Peter's uh, suggestion here is that an elder 
is to shepherd the people, to help make sure they are spiritually fed, to make sure that they are spiritually protected, to make sure that they are spiritually healthy. And when they're not, to step in and try to care for them. He is to lead. They are to lead the sheep. But Peter goes on. The, the next descriptor begins to help flesh out what does it look like to lead. And the second one is that they are to do this willingly. They are to shepherd willingly. Look at the very next uh, phrase after exercising oversight. He says, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Think about that phrase for a second. As God would have you. That tells me that being an elder isn't just a job. It, it, it isn't slavery, despite how some pastors talk at times. No, it's a calling. God calls you to this. So you have to do it willingly because your God says, here's the role I want you to fulfill in my church. You have to do this willingly. You can't do it under compulsion. Because if you're doing it because you feel forced, your heart is not going to be in it. And if your heart is not in it, you're going to act like a hired hand. Jesus makes it very clear the difference between a true shepherd and someone who's just a hired hand. In John chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, Jesus says this, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He, the shepherd, flees, because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. If an elder is not willing to serve, the moment tough things come up, he's probably going to take off. He's probably going to resign. He's going to go find a different church because he doesn't want to deal with the mess. He doesn't like what's happening and the way they're being attacked. But a true shepherd who really says, God's called me to this, They're going to be willing to stay, to stick with things. And so we need elders who will be consistent, who will be committed, who will do this willingly. Not because any of us here try to force them and coerce them and, oh, come on, you should do it. Everyone knows you should do it. They do it willingly. We're going to explain a little more on that. But before we do, uh, the third thing is that they are to shepherd selflessly. An elder is to shepherd selflessly. Notice the very next phrase there says, not for shameful gain. A bad elder is someone who takes on the role because they think they're going to get something. Maybe it's more recognition, uh, you know, more attention. Maybe it's going to be more power. Maybe in their convoluted way, it's going to be more money. I, I don't know. But some people, they take on the role out of the wrong, the wrong motives. Their heart is not in it. They're doing it for selfish reasons. They're doing it for gain. <clears throat> We've been uh, receiving our applications from our elder candidates, and very, uh, there's been a consistent pattern in them. And one of the things that has continued to be revealed is the biggest concern is time. And that actually encourages me. Why would I be encouraged by reading these guys saying, yeah, I don't know if I have the time for this? Because to me, that says they're thinking about this in a healthy way. They're not, I have no indications in these applications that, oh yeah, I'd love to serve as an elder because then I could help direct Riverwood or because then I'd know what's going on or because then I could finally get this. No, it's been a sense of, I think God's calling me to this, but my biggest concern is time. 
Because they realize being an elder is not about what you get from it. It's about what you give. And I'm sensing they're taking this seriously. They're really looking at this thinking, you know what? I think God's calling me to this. And I want to do it right. I want to do it well. I want to give. And they're looking at it realizing that they have to do it selflessly. All right, so the fourth thing that I see here in uh, 1 Peter 5 is that they need to shepherd happily. They need to shepherd happily. It, it, it comes from that little word there at the end of verse 2. He, Peter says they need to do it eagerly. When I was seven years old, my family was going to go on a vacation to Canada with another family from our church. And I remember the night before we were leaving, we, we drove over to the house because they lived in a, a neighboring community and we were going to all leave the next morning together. And we were getting up insanely early, I think like five in the morning. I could not sleep. I was so excited. My, my parents said that for like days, I just kept saying, I can't wait to go to Canada. I can't wait for our vacation. I can't wait. My dad kept correcting me. He's like, Aaron, you're going to have to wait. Like, it, it doesn't matter how much you keep saying this. Like, the days will not come any faster, right? You, you have to wait. He said, instead, don't say, I can't wait. Say, I'm eager. I don't think my seven-year-old self caught on. I think I continued to say, I can't wait. But my dad was right. He was saying, you're eager. Because eager shows a joyful anticipation. And I think even though being an elder can be hard, there should be some joy in it for a couple of reasons. When someone says yes to being an elder, it's like they get a front row seat to watching God work in the lives of people. Yes, it means they also are exposed to some of the things going on in people's life. I mean, our lives are messy. But sometimes it's when we see that mess and we step in and we start praying, we start counseling from scripture, we start preaching the gospel into their life and we start seeing marriages being healed. We start seeing addictions being ended. We start seeing people really grow and rise up in, in, in their maturity in Christ. Elders get this front row seat, and there's joy in that. But also, when an elder is serving as an elder, he's getting to be a bit like Jesus. Because remember, these are Jesus' sheep. We're going to talk about that again here in just a little bit. But because you're going to serve Jesus' sheep as you're caring for them, you know now what it means to give your life for God's sheep. And it helps you understand the gospel just a little bit more and a little deeper. And as you get to do this role and be a bit like Jesus, to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved, you get a glimpse of Jesus like you've never seen before. And that should also bring an elder joy. I think that's why an elder should do this, not just willingly, like, oh, okay, I guess I can do it. But even eagerly, knowing that there is a joyful anticipation that God is going to work in these people and know I get to be a part of it. So they need to serve happily. Number five, they also need to shepherd humbly. This comes from the very first uh, phrase there in verse three. Peter says that they are to not, uh, not domineering over those in your charge. Not domineering. Yes, an elder is to lead. But it is possible to lead without being a jerk. Just recently, I'd say probably in the last three, four years, there were two megachurch pastors, very, very well known. Their sermons were downloaded all over on the internet. They wrote all sorts of books. You could find their books on my bookshelf. And they both had to be removed because they had become domineering. Stories began to leak out of how when someone stood up to them and didn't agree with them, the pastor would berate the person, belittle them. There were even reports of just being outright cussed out of and they, they tried to get staff fired. They tried to get elders to, to leave. They wanted to control and manipulate. They had become domineering. 
And I'm actually very, very impressed with the elder boards of these churches for being willing to stand up and say what you are doing is not right. I mean, these were celebrity pastors. They, they were super famous. They, they had best-selling books. I mean, everyone loved these guys. They were the ones who went to the conferences and everyone wanted to go to the conference where they were preaching. And yet these elders stood up and said, I don't care how famous you are. I don't care how many books you sold. I don't care how great your sermons are. Behind the scenes, you are not an elder. You are domineering. An elder cannot dominate over because they're not more important. They're merely here to serve, to help lead the sheep to where they can be fed. And so they need to serve humbly. And that leads into uh, number six, uh, the sixth item. That is that they need to uh, shepherd by modeling, by modeling. Notice the second half here of verse three. Peter says that these elders, they are to be examples to the flock. They are to be examples to the flock. Those pastors of the, the mega churches that had to step down, they had no longer were being examples. They, that had ceased. Because you don't want to see husbands being domineering in the home. You, you don't want to see people going into the workplaces like teachers being domineering in the, in the, the classroom. That's not the way to do life. Jesus didn't do that with us, and he's the son of God. And so they stopped being examples. That was part of why they needed to step down. Because if you have an elder who's not being an example, what you have is a hypocrite. And a hypocrite can cause deep spiritual damage to others. When Leanne and I lived in Denver, Colorado, we lived in a townhome. It was a building that had six units, and then there, I think there at that time there were four buildings, and I think they've added more since we moved. But uh, we lived on the second from the end, and right on the, the end were Derek and Lisa. If you met Lisa within about 2.4 seconds, you could figure out she was from Texas. Uh, the accent basically gave it away, but then just everything about Lisa screamed Texas. And, and we ended up starting to build a friendship with, with Derek and Lisa. They, they were unable to have kids, and so instead they decided to have poodles. And they had these little dinky teacup poodles that they poured way too much money into because they were always sick and, and you know broken. But they loved these poodles. In fact, they actually bought a baby monitor for their poodles. And it was on the same frequency as our baby monitor. And so one day I heard an entire conversation with Derek and Lisa. And I'm calling them like, uh, guys, you need to buy a different monitor. Um, I can hear everything going on. Uh, thankfully, they weren't arguing at the moment. Uh, but we, we built this friendship with Derek and Lisa, and, and so we kept inviting them to our church. I was the worship pastor at a small little church plant. We met in an elementary school, and they were a little hesitant. Derek, because he'd never been to church in his entire life, and, and he had some you know concepts about what church was, what Christians were like. But Lisa, it was obvious that she actually had some church background. Well, as the friendship deepened, we found out that she actually grew up in a Southern Baptist church in Texas, small little church, and her dad was one of the deacons. At that, her church, the deacons were the leaders of the church, not, not elders. These deacons led the church. And she said that one day, she's a little girl, and she's outside with her dad, and her dad is with the other deacons smoking cigarettes. And her dad is, sticks the cigarette in his mouth and all of a sudden looks down at his little girl and says, Sweetie, don't do what I'm doing. Now, you and I all know that he's saying, don't smoke these things. These are bad for you. These will kill you. Don't do this. But to her little girl ears, what she heard was, your daddy's a hypocrite. And she no longer respected her dad. And she ended up drifting away from the church, drifting away from the faith. Yes, yeah, she believed there was a God. She really believed there was a guy named Jesus. 
And she knew all about the story of him dying on the cross. But what she saw was leaders who were not being examples. They were not modeling the type of life that they were saying, here's how you should live. And it damaged her. We cannot have elders here at Riverwood who will be inconsistent, who will tell you to do one thing, but then go and do something else. Now, will our elders stumble? Yes. How do I know? Because I'm one of your elders already, right? I screw up all the time. All you have to do is interview my family. You'll, you'll find out, right? Far from perfect. But what we saw last week as we looked at who is qualified to be an elder, they kind of have to have this blamelessness about them, like this consistency. And if you see someone not being consistent, probably an indication that they're not quite ready to be an elder because they have to model. Why is it that this is so important? Because of uh, description number seven, that they are to serve as under shepherds. Notice what Peter says in verse four. He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. When the chief shepherd, that means that these elders, while they've been given the charge of shepherding the flock of God, it's not their flock. I mean, just go back to uh, Peter's walk with Jesus. Jesus did not say, hey, Peter, you've seen how I developed a flock. Now go start your own flock. No, he says, Peter, feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Tend to my flock. A good elder realizes it's not his church. It's God's church. And what he is to do is to help these people find Jesus and follow him. And ultimately, one day, their time comes to an end, and they're going to take this and go, here you go, God. Because really, it's all about following Jesus, the chief shepherd. We need elders here who are going to help each and every one of us see the beauty of the gospel, that we see just who Jesus is. And part of how they're going to do that is by leading us willingly. They're going to do it selflessly. They're going to do it humbly. They're going to do it happily. They're going to model for us what it looks like to follow Jesus. Because ultimately, this isn't about them. They're just serving a role. It's about Jesus and what he wants to do in us and through us. So we need elders who will do these things, will lead willingly, they will serve selflessly, humbly, happily, and they will lead us as examples, helping draw us to the true shepherd, the chief shepherd. Now you may be wondering, okay, sounds great, Aaron. It sounds like the type of, of leaders that we need in our church. What, what do I do? Because that, that's not me. I'm, I'm not you know, qualified or I'm not ready or whatever. I'm not that elder. So what do I do? Well, Peter actually talks to you. Look at verse five. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, maybe you kind of recoil at that. He just said to be subject to the elders. In America, our cultural DNA finds subjection, submission, a dirty word. I, I don't know if it's because, you know, we started as a nation by overthrowing, you know, we didn't want to be in subjection to England, and, and so we fought in the Revolutionary War. Maybe it's because, you know, as part of our history, we had slavery, and we saw the evil that is slavery and how we subjected people and put them under us, and, and that's just totally wrong. And, and so, I don't know, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something even in your own life. But, but we have this revulsion to this idea of submission, of being subjected. But I want you to really think about this. 
Because if you have someone who's truly trying to lead you willingly, happily, selflessly, humbly, this is someone you can trust. And, and you find yourself actually willing to go with them. And, and so you can, you can follow. And so to be subject to them is not an insult. In fact, if we continued on with that verse and headed into the next section, you start seeing Peter talk about humility. It takes a lot of courage to humble ourselves under these under-shepherds. Because really what we're doing, when we subject ourselves to them, we're saying, God, I trust you have put in place the right men to lead us. So really, this is about our submission to Christ. But I believe that the submission plays another part. Because if you end up having an elder, whether that be me or one of our others, beginning to live consistently, we become domineering, or we become drunkards, or we start doing it for selfish gain, or we start getting caught up in sexual sin, that, that we start doing this very inconsistent life, not being examples, part of your subjection is to confront very lovingly, very firmly, sitting down with that elder saying, I love you, but here's what I'm seeing in your life. Now, we're not talking like a, a one-time screw-up. We're talking about seeing a consistent pattern. And you sit down and you say, here is where you are not doing what an elder is to do. And you start showing them what God calls them to do. You do this with love. You do this with grace. But you do it firmly because the church needs them. And if they are not living out this call, not fulfilling the duties of an elder, they need to be called on it. Now, you don't just lob charges at them. Like, you, you, you do this with as much grace and humility as you can, but you come and you say, here's what I see, because you need to care for the entire church, because they are supposed to help lead us, they're help feed us, they're help protect us, they're help keep us healthy. And if they're not doing that, and part of the way we submit to them is ultimately submitting to God, who's called them to be under shepherds. Because this is important. Because this church is important. God has a mission for us. There's a world out there that is desperately needing to know that Jesus died on a cross for them. They need to know that God wants to rescue them from that sin. And he's inviting them into a relationship. He wants them to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. And for us to do that, we have to be a healthy church. And I believe that for us to be that healthy church that God calls us to be, it means we need to have a plurality of leaders. It isn't just me. We need to come together and say, here are the men that God's appointed to lead us and guide us. And I think then we will see God work tremendously in our church family so that he can work through our church family. That is why in just a few weeks, I'm going to need those of you who are church partners to sit down with our elder candidates, ask them questions, get to know them, Help us discern, are these the right men to lead us? And if they are, then on September 30th, we affirm that, we celebrate it, and we help install them, and then we together will subject ourselves to their leadership, letting them lead us where God wants to help lead us. So Heavenly Father, I just pray for my church family right now. I am so grateful for it. I am so glad that if this was your vision to start this church, and that it has been your joy to gather these people. 
And Father, I believe that you want to do even more in us and through us. And I believe part of that is to calling us to appoint these elders, to have people from right from our very own midst, to be our pastors, to be our overseers, to, to be these elders who will shepherd us to follow you. Because Jesus, it is truly all about you. So Father, I pray that you'd oversee this entire process. I pray for our four elder candidates. I, I pray that as they go through this process, that this would be affirming to them or that there would be clarity for them, for them to realize this isn't the right spot. But God, you know that we need this. I am so ready to work alongside uh, a team like this because I think it's going to just make us a far better church and just make things even more fun than they already are. And so, Father, I pray you protect this entire process and that together, collectively, we would have a sense of you working in this church family because I believe that there's a bunch of people out there the spiritually disconnected who need to receive that invitation to find you, Jesus, through the gospel and to begin a journey of following you. So, Father, would you do this for your glory and for our joy? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.